What a beautiful song. Thank you for your presence here today. Uh, some virtually and the rest of you here, we're delighted that you're here. We welcome our visitors and we want you to feel, feel right at home. If you've been with us, uh, if you're not visiting with us, uh, this will be news to you, but to the rest of us, we uh, several have made re remarks about how we've had a baby boom in our congregation. And no, I'm not a, about to make an announcement. Um, I don't, I'm not aware of any more. <laughs> Let me, pr I should say that. I think I should. But uh, if I've counted correctly, over the last six months, we've had six babies born uh, to families within our church family. And, uh, and that doesn't count other family members. I'm thinking of Sonny. Uh, Hannah and Jake's baby that might as well be one of ours or is one of ours as well but there are so many if you spread that over the past year there's even more uh, we can include but the wonderful thing about that is you see you see God's design that when a baby is born into the world God's design is to be born into a family and what makes that even greater is that when one of, in our family, in our church family, has a new birth, we all rejoice as, as God's family. And I make the parallel to when someone obeys the gospel, when someone is born again, when they obey the gospel, when they are baptized into Christ as penitent believers, the Lord adds them to the church, adds them to his family, and we rejoice. And again, it's God's design that not only when a person is born, they're born into a family. But when they're born again, they're born into a family. The family of God. It reminds us that we were created for connection. We were created for connection. God wants us to be connected to Him. He's made provision for that. In that while sin separates us from God, through Jesus we can uh, obey the gospel and be reconciled to God and be brought into his family. And he wants us to have that connection because that's the saving connection uh, through Jesus. But at the same time, he wants us to be connected to his family, the church. So connected to God and connected to his family. All of this is possible because of what Jesus has done for us. Notice with me Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul is writing to Christians uh, who had been Gentiles and foreigners to the covenant of promise under the old law. So they've been on the outside looking in for a long time. But now watch what he writes. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of partition, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity." And again, in that language, what we need to understand is this Jew and Gentile separation. There was a lot of hatred there. But now he says, because you have 
surrendered your lives to Christ, you've been brought together. You've been reconciled to God through that one body, the church. But that, that partition that existed to keep you separated from one another has also been brought, broken down. Now you are one. You are one in Christ. So through Christ, we are reconciled to God. Through Christ, we are connected with one another in the family of God, the church. So it's Christ who makes it possible. But then we find scriptures such as Ephesians chapter 4. And I invite you to look up that passage with me. Ephesians chapter 4. Which tells us that there are some things that you and I must do. Um, we can't create that unity. Christ is the one who makes that unity possible. But there are things that you and I can do to maintain that unity. Or to build the connections within the family of God. So let's look at what the Apostle Paul says to that effect on, on what you and I can do to be united and not untied. And I'll come back to that. That's the sermon title, United, but not, united, not untied. So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, what we find keys to connecting with others in the family of God or to be united and not untied. Number one, we need to be humble. We need to be humble. Look at verse 1 with me of Ephesians 4. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness, this is New King James Version, with all lowliness or with all humility and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. He's talking about living a life worthy of the calling with which we've been called. And he says in particularly in connections with our connections within the family of God, to maintain and to build those connections, we need to be humble. We need to be humble. Philippians chapter 2, Paul also talks about this idea of humility in our relationships with one another. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And in that text, Paul is telling us what humility means. It's not thinking only of yourself, but it's thinking of others. It's, in fact, it's valuing others above, above yourself. John Kessler said it like this, True humility is also focused on others. It does not neglect itself. It continues to look out for it, its own interests, but it's not willing to do so at the expense of others. It is equally interested in what others have done, desire, or need. So we're not wrapped up in ourselves. We're also focused on others, and others are important to us, and we care about others, and we think of them. I love this statement that I've read. Humility is not thinking less of ourselves. It's really not thinking of ourselves at all. That's the focus. Thinking of others. Look at that title, United, Not Untied. And the difference between those two words is the placement of the I. And folks, what, what can destroy unity? is a misplaced I. When I'm the center of my universe and I'm only concerned about myself, 
that destroys unity. But you put I or me in the right place, then we can have unity. But it requires humility. Humility. Putting I or ourselves in our proper place. But it's not only humility. Paul says, but with all lowliness or humility and gentleness, be completely humble and gentle, he says. King James Version has the word meekness. And you've heard this, I'm sure, many times. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness means strength under control. And when you're dealing with interpersonal relationships, there are going to be times when there are differing opinions. There are going to be times when there's different methods of, of doing things. You know, I'm not talking about sin and un, not sin. I'm talking about just different preferences. And sometimes there's personality conflicts within interpersonal relationships, even in the church. And so we need to be gentle with one another. Understanding. Strength under control. That means we don't react too quickly, too harshly. When another person does something that may annoy us or concern us, we exercise self-control and respond appropriately. I was interested to learn that this word gentleness was used by the Greeks to refer to persons or things that showed an especially smoothing or soothing quality, a soothing quality, like an ointment that relieved the pain of a, ver of a burn. So we don't, we don't respond harshly or antagonistic, uh, that word. <laughs> We don't respond harshly or in a negative way, a sour way, but we respond with gentleness, with gentleness, and with long-suffering, with long-suffering. Be completely humble and gentle. Some versions have be patient here instead of long-suffering. But long-suffering is actually probably one of the better translations you see in that word long-suffering, suffering long. It comes from two root words. One means long, the other means passion or wrath. So literally it means to have long wrath. You've heard of people who have a short fuse. Um, like one person who said, well, explaining why he just erupted in anger. He had a short fuse. Said, well, I'm just like a... A shotgun, I, I explode and then it's all over. And a friend of his pointed out, but, but look at all the damage that's done by that shotgun. But instead of having a short fuse, we're long fused. If we practice this idea of long suffering, being able to suffer long. By the way, love suffers long. Other versions have love is patient, but again, love suffers long. This is a verb. This is what love does. It doesn't react quickly. It has a long fuse. It is patient because all of us have differences. We're different in many different ways. And so we need to learn to be patient with each other, long-suffering, regarding personal opinions or, or personal shortcomings. How do we do that? I think one of the key ways is to recognize how long-suffering God is with us. 
God is so patient with us, isn't he? And therefore, we need to be patient, long-suffering with one another. Paul goes on to say, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another. And that means simply tolerating people. And it, it's a reminder that all of us are less than perfect. And so we need to uh, give others that latitude as well. Recognize that others are not perfect either. I like looking at different translations and how, how it's uh, translated here. Notice Philip's translation. Accept life with humility and patience, making allowances for each other because you love each other. Ephesians 4.2 in the New American Standard says, showing tolerance for one another in love. The contemporary English version says, always be humble and gentle, patiently put up with each other and love each other. What do we do at home with our small children? We teach them they got to you may, you may uh, step on one another's toes. You may not agree all the time, but you have to learn to put up with one another because you're all in the same family. We need to develop that mindset as well. We're not going to uh, be sensitive to the point where someone hurts my feelings and I'm going I'm to leave, but I'm going to try to work through to be patient and even allow these small differences not to be a barrier to our relationship within the family of God. Number five, be loving. Be bearing with one another in love. And you would expect this to be here. Love, putting the needs of others above your own. That's, that's the agape love. And Paul in the companion passage says this, above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above all these things. And contextually in Colossians 3, he's talking about things like compassion and being kind and gentle and humble and patient, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, all of those qualities. But Paul says, above all those things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It binds them all together in perfect unity. And finally, another thing Paul underscores here in Ephesians 4 is be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be a peacemaker. Again, Christ made unity possible. He made our union with God and our unity with one another possible through His shed blood. But we are to endeavor to keep unified. That's how important. We, there are things that you and I must do to maintain that peace that Christ made possible. And we're to make every effort. There's a, a sense of urgency and a sense of effort here. We're to make every effort to, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. How do we do that? Here's a list of some practical ways to, to uh, maintain peace, to be peacemakers and not peace breakers. 
Number one, refuse to gossip. Just refuse. Gossip doesn't have to be false. It can be true. But if it's, if it's spoken with the intent to, to harm or if it's spoken without the, any reason, legitimate reason to share it, then it's gossip. Refuse to gossip or refuse to hear it. Stop people as they're sharing that kind of information and say, I don't want to gossip. I care about others that much. Keeping the unity of the Spirit may mean being reconciled to someone. It may mean taking the initiative. You're at odds with someone. You're going to endeavor to do all things that you can. Romans 12, 18, to keep peace. As much as, you, as, much as in you have peace with all men. It may be sending a note of encouragement, just a note of thanks to someone that, that you deeply appreciate. That can help build relationships, showing that appreciation that Ricky wrote about uh, earlier this week can be so helpful in, in uh, strengthening. Focusing on the good in other people and not the bad. How about Becoming a peacemaker and singing to, seeking to bring two people who are at odds together. Or making a special effort to adopt someone who has no close ties to others within the church. You know, we can think of ways, but we need to be proactive. And be peacemakers. Because the church is the family of God. And so the mindset of a member of God's family needs to be this. I am a unifying member. I am a unifying member. When you become a Christian, God adds you to the church. And when you become a part of the church, God wants each of us to be a unifying presence. The health of any group is tied to its unity. It's true for sports. If a team isn't unified, they're not going to be successful. It's true in business. If the employees and employers are not unified, they're not going to be productive. The same is true for our families. If we're not unified, we're going to have that discord just tears us apart. And it's, it's true for churches. It's true for congregations. But unity only works when individuals make a decision that they're going to put the good of the group above their own personal preferences. So each of us needs to make that decision. I like this phrase that I've borrowed and used. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be someone who sows discord. I want to be someone who promotes unity. I don't want to be someone who separates people. I want to see... I want to be part of someone who helps people realize just how precious these relationships are within God's family. How many times have you heard, and I bet I've heard it even more than you, I don't know what I would do without my church family. I want everyone in the Creekwood church family to have that kind of mindset, that I love my church family so much 
and I feel the support that my family gives me, I don't know what I would do without that support. Here are three practical ways to promote unity. Number one, think we and not they. Think we and not they. Don't say they need to do something or they need to do this better. Think we need to do something. Again, I want to take part in this. I want to take some ownership here. I want to think of the church family here in terms of we and not they. And I want to do everything that I can to make myself recognize that I'm a part of this family. So I'm a part of the solutions to any problems that arise. Number two, don't expect perfection. Don't expect perfection. The church is a perfect institution, but it's made up of imperfect people. So I need to acknowledge that, starting by looking in the mirror. And I can't expect perfection. Number three, seek to include others. Our good friend and brother Byron Smith taught me this phrase, invite people into your life. Invite people into your life. Someone you don't know that well within our church family, seek to get to know them. Invite them into your life. Folks, if we all have that kind of mindset, how much closer are we going to become? We want to share our lives. I've got to tell you, I'm preaching a funeral tomorrow. Mary David McCraney. Some of you with Fort Deposit connections probably have met her. She passed, and her funeral is tomorrow. And I'm speaking at her funeral. I'm going to talk more about her tonight at our, our Chili Fellowship. Within the context of fellowship, I'm going to tell you more about Miss Mary David. But let me not go there yet and just tell you she was one who adopted us into her family, and we adopted her. Paul talks about, in Romans 16, uh, someone who was like a mother to him. We, Patrice and I call Miss Mary David another mother, and we have two great moms. But she's, She was another mother when our mothers weren't living in Fort Deposit, she was the one that we would call. And I say that to underscore this point. Those relationships don't happen by accident. Those relationships happen when people open up their hearts and open up their lives and say, come in. You're a part of my family. May that kind of mindset permeate our church family. That you are a part of our family. Again, the most important key is Jesus. Connected to God and connected to one another through him. So let me read in closing Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 again. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one, that he might reconcile them both to God in one, one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. It's the blood of Jesus that makes it possible. Our being reconciled to God and connected to one another, blood related by the blood of Jesus within the family of God. We appropriate that cleansing and uniting blood initially when we obey the gospel. And it may be that there are some who are ready to profess their faith in Christ, that He's the Son of God, and having turned from sin and repentance are, are ready to be buried with Christ in baptism or born again. And folks, when you rise from the waters of baptism, God adds you to His family. And by His design, we're born into a family. A family that, whose members love one another, support one another, sometimes correct one another, rebuke one another, but encourage one another, forgive one another. You look up all the one another passages in the New Testament, and we find a lot of things to keep us busy. Maintaining and building upon the unity that Christ has made possible. And one of the greatest things that you and I can do for one another is to pray for one another. And it may be that there's something weighing on your heart this morning that you desire the prayers of your church family about. If you're not yet a member of this church family, we want to pray with you anyway because we want to, we want to have that mindset. We want you to be a part of the family of God and even this congregation of Creekwood. If you're subject to the invitation of Jesus, we invite you to come right now as we stand and sing.